Welcome to the latest episode of the Shaken and Stirred podcast. I'm Simon Hilgey and with me is Phil Milburn. Hello, Phil. Hi, Simon. Can we go back just over a year now when you launched your first funds here at Lion Trust and talk about perhaps your approach, your views at that stage? People were wary about bonds. It'd been a long ball market for bonds. How has that played out over the last 12 months? Uh, Thank you, Simon. It has been a reasonably volatile market over the last 12 months, more the credit markets than the rates markets, with the central bankers nearly always coming to the rescue of the rates markets whenever things get a little dicey. And certainly one of the biggest surprises to us is that rates markets continue to price for ongoing recessionary conditions rather than the continued reasonable economic growth that we have seen. Clearly, as mentioned in a previous podcast, we saw a dip in manufacturing in Q4 last year, Q1 this year, but that is now starting to um, abate somewhat, and we are going back towards close-to-trend growth, uh, provided Trump's trade wars don't knock it off. Um, So we continue to be alarmed that rates markets are very expensive and continue to take very much a value approach and low beta approach having very low duration in our strategic bond funds um, on an underlying basis, we've been oscillating between two and three years. Are you surprised uh, at how the bond markets have behaved, particularly in terms of, of that, how expensive they've, they've been over the year? Um, we're surprised that the bond market hasn't put in what we would call more of a term premium um, for inflation risk. What that means back in English is that the bond market should be discounting more of a risk of the central banks around the world letting inflation accelerate as labour markets continue to tighten. We're not surprised that central banks continue to feed the the addiction to cheap money as ultimately this cycle is a much flatter shallower, longer cycle than previous ones because of cheap money. It is pure financial repression, in our opinion, and is actually prohibitive towards increasing productivity and growth. Um, So in terms of what we're doing, we continue to believe that there will be an inflation scare, not an outright inflation problem. And in the funds, we've made money out of curve steepening positions recently, having made money out of flatteners in 2018. Flatteners, where you are um, basically preferring short date to long date or vice versa, um, flatteners and steepeners, it's all about where you are in the cycle. So um, when the Fed is raising rates, you tend to prefer long dated debt over short dated debt. The short dated debt reacts badly to the raising of rates. The long dated debt reacts quite well as the Fed kills off long term growth. We flipped this year, given the Fed pause, to preferring now steepeners. We are short 30-year debt and long 10-year debt. Um, and we put that on at about a differential of about 35 basis points in a half a year's size. As we speak today, that's in the mid-40s, so it's made a handful of basis points for the funds. The other factor that we're doing is we continue to buy cheap inflation protection buying linkers over conventional government debt, taking advantage there of the inflation break-even protection. You mentioned earlier that you like mispriced assets value. 
Are there any other examples where over the past 12 months that you could point to where you found that? The biggest call we've actually made over the last 12 months is for most of the time we've been running a little light credit risk. We have a range of zero to 100 percent of investment grade with 50 percent being the obvious midpoint. Most of the time we've been around the 40 percent area. Similarly with high yield and EM, zero to 40, 20 percent midpoint. Um, we were quite light risk at the end of the summer 2018 and then through more through derivative overlays in October and November started to add to high yield and then more aggressively bought credit late December, early January, moving from being an underweight credit risk position to an overweight when we saw valuation opportunity arising. And that to me is the key word is valuation. Once the valuations are cheap, you can strategically justify buying. The rally post that actually happened faster than we'd anticipate. And since then, we've been taking profits on credit and generally maintaining the weighting and investment grade in the 40s percent area. Um, but within that, reducing the beta, switching financials into conventional corporates, reducing any what's referred to as hybrid debt for debt with a firm maturity rather than a fancy structure and generally just reducing some of the inverted commas spread duration, i.e. the credit risk within the fund. Within the high yield at the end of September 2018, we had 10% high yield. Um, at the start of this year, we had 30% high yield. Post the rally with high yield returning almost double digits year to date, we're back down to 10%. We could take it to zero, but we continue to identify some good stock positions within high yield and would rather still maintain exposure to both that yield and capital upside. So yes, Simon, the biggest call really has been taking advantage of the credit valuation anomaly that occurred late in 2018. And, and value today, is there, is there more value opportunities, less? How are, you, how are you finding the markets at the moment? There are definitely less opportunities. We're seeing a few new opportunities come through the primary new issuance markets but most of those are then taken off the table by a tightening in the price talk. So we're being very circumspect in where we're deploying capital. And when there's a very small differential, um, you're not losing much opportunity cost from de-risking. And I think that goes back to the long-term nature of how we want to run money. Uh, we ultimately think when valuation opportunity isn't fantastic, then maintain some exposure, but decrease the risk and be prepared to then buy when the proverbial dip occurs, as it always does. So we're pretty light credit risk at the moment, um, and we'd envisage adding if there's significant weakness possibly caused by trade wars or any other exogenous factor. Rates markets, we remain strategically very much underweight um, with a low duration correlation, and we don't see that changing for the foreseeable future given the manipulation that's happening in the markets, rather spend our risk budget on identifying alpha opportunities, uh, cross-market opportunities, curve opportunities, um, tips versus conventionals, um, rather than putting money to risk assets that are almost guaranteed to erode real value over time. And the biggest potential impact on markets is that um, interest rate central bank movements? 
Um, for the moment, the market focus is more on trade wars and the risk premium around that. Um, but we think the bigger call this year is a second U-turn by the Fed later in the year from their turn from the start of hawkish fish to go back to hawkish again once the manufacturing soft patch has cleared later in the year and as the labour market continues to tighten further. And bear in mind, by September of this year, the Fed will have finished its quantitative tightening programme. The balance sheet will be relatively static and just be um, changing the asset composition of the balance sheet. So yes, at some stage, we do think it will be viewed that central banks are actually behind the curve. But for the moment, it's more of a growth scare than an inflation scare. And we have to have to temper our activity about government accordingly. And you, you talk, you've talked about us being in the latter stages of the credit cycle. Can you just talk a little bit about what that means for investors? It's like the previous cycle, which really finished in the 05 to 07 leverage buyout boom. We're not seeing as horrendous energy in this cycle, but it's still a case of trying to avoid that downside risk. Um, we're seeing very low default rates within the high yield universe, with the high yield universe having had a good purge of energy credits in the 14 through to, well, mid 16 energy crisis and default cycle. And clearly, there are still companies around the world suffering from technological disruption. Uh, we avoid the retail sector like the plague for obvious reasons, as buying shifts being more online. And technological disruption is one of the key themes we have for the next few years. The pace currently very high. But late cycle, it's just to keep discipline. It's to make sure you're not holding any company whose business model no longer works if the Proverbial music stops, i.e. don't hold companies that can't cope if the credit market shut down for a while. Within our strategic bond funds, we have an up in quality within high yield strategy, and we're really not pushing the envelope far there at all in terms of risk. Even within our high yield bond fund, the triple C weighting within the fund is only about 2%. So we, we think when you're not getting compensated for moving capital structures or taking lower credit risk, then just don't do it. We'd far rather spend our time stock picking in the higher quality area, looking for those companies still deleveraging and upgrade candidates than pushing the last or squeezing the last few pips out of the site. And what do you say to those people that are kind of question whether they should be exposed to bond markets? I do agree with a lot of that, actually. Um, of when bond markets are undoubtedly expensive due to central banks. So um, when I'm looking at the bond market, I'm very much about avoiding as many unnecessary risks as possible and reducing that beta, reducing the overall exposure to the market, still retaining some correlation, but reducing the exposure and trying to generate alpha. There's always so many ways of generating alpha in bond funds that I would look for people like ourselves, and obviously I'd say that, that are prioritizing that alpha over beta. And um, obviously, I, my personal opinion is I would still be underweight bond risk. Um, I maintain that for a long time, um, but I would then target those managers that are using um, their processes to exploit inefficiencies 
rather than just loading up on beta, which would have worked pretty much from 2009 onwards for the previous decade. Our aim when we joined Line Trust, and it's been working well over the first year, was to future-proof our funds for the next decade, where no longer are you guaranteed easy returns from bond funds. And finally, looking out over the next 12 months, is there anything you would add in terms of what you see as the challenges and what you're kind of looking forward to, the opportunities over the next 12 months? I would say there's a lot more of the same. We intend to continue to run with, as mentioned, low interest rate risk and a fairly defensive credit positioning. But when valuation anomalies arise, when the next inevitable risk event occurs, then we'll look to increase weightings in the credit area. So again, it's um, at risk of stretching a cricket analogy. At the moment, it's about the singles and the doubles rather than hitting for the boundary. It's been working well over the last year. Performance has been very good. Risk-adjusted performance has been excellent. And what gets us up in the morning is to do more of the same, continue to identify where markets are mispriced, continue to capture that in a way that can add a couple of handfuls of basis points to the fund, um, but not look to put all the eggs in any basket. Um, we're very much enjoying it. We're one year in. The funds are starting to attract very good flows, and um, we hope it they start to appear on more investors' radars. Thank you, Phil, and well done on the first year. And thank you to everybody for listening to the podcast. Until next time, thank you.